have a lot of passion for what you're doing. This rings true because it's so hard that if you don't, any rational person would give up. It's really hard, and you have to do it over a sustained period of time. So if you don't love it, and if you're not happy with doing it, To another episode of Johnson Title Podcast, a partner of MoshPitNation.com. The guest on this episode is Johnny McBee, vocalist and all-around musical talent for The Browning. And my all-around co-host is Mr. Daniel Terry. How are you doing today? I mean, I've been better. Uh, I've got a, <laughs> I've got a sinus infection. Um, I just got curb stomped by another podcast on Facebook. Is that um, why you got sick? You're, you're just wallowing think, in the throes of that? I think so. I think I, I was holding on to health until uh, <laughs> in, until that poll ran out. Um, but that's cool. It's, you know, it is what it is. And uh, they deserve it, man. They clearly have some Facebook reach that I can only aspire to have. Hey, but, so. you know, it was pretty fun to, to actually watch the competition, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. I got to say, like, and for those who may not know what we're talking about, Ear Peeler is doing a podcast, uh, I guess a best of tournament, sort of. I guess would be a great way to describe it. Sort of, yeah. Just seeing, like, who who can, who can has the most reach, you know, <laughs> who's the most influential podcast, who's the king. Yes. Know? And uh, basically, like, a lot of the show favorites and show uh, companions, uh, Daniel's uh, podcast, Discography Discussion, uh, was up against some stiff competition. Uh, Joshua Toomey has been up against some of the better podcasts that are most well-known, but sadly, I also think uh, those podcasts aren't aware that there's a competition going on. So it is interesting to see people voting solely for the podcast while no one is actually actively pushing the contest for the other the other podcast. But uh, hey. I think Toomey is going to have some, uh, some, some struggles on this next uh, round. And uh, Roach Coach was uh in a fight on the second round as well yeah i mean my heart goes out to those guys uh we were all out in the trenches man we were us and roach coach we were fighting the good fight you know the only way we knew how to fight it and uh but you know like i said man these classic rock podcasts you just can't beat them you know um They've got they've got the built-in fan base. They've got tried and true bands, you know. And I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, do you think it's because we're too negative? Like we criticize <laughs> bands, whereas these guys these guys celebrate like over thirty years of music, and we're just here just take a big shit on it, you know. And I think, uh, you know, not not those bands, but just like typically the bands we talk about. I mean, we we try to stay positive for the most part, but I mean, there's still stuff that we're just like, this is terrible, even if it's like one of our favorite bands, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm, uh, it was kind of funny, because speaking to that, like, I was a guest on Discography Discussion's most recent episode, which dropped today, Sunday, as of the time we're recording this, and, uh, Dan, myself, and Joe, uh, all talked about Misery Signals, and I think for the first time, you know, typically when I do a podcast, or typically when I, I've gone on and, and talked about Lamb of God, or I've talked about Esley Dying, pretty much never going to talk to any of those dudes probably ever in my life or become friends with them or, or any association with me to them ever. But I realized I do have some uh, some ties to the people associated with Misery Signals, and 
uh, it was a little bit harder to talk a little bit objectively about a band when you've now formed friendships with some of these people in these bands. I feel like it would be, you know, akin to Dan basically having something negative to say about Zeo. And I, f- I would hope that the guys never going to happen. Well, I mean, there's that, but I, I would hope that, you know, basically the guys, if you had something objective to say about the band or an album or whatever, that they would take it more to heart because they know you're, you're a lifelong fan and you've been a fan for a long time, but that still doesn't take away the personal aspect of these things. Like when you say things and you know, it kind of sucks. Like I will, I will say you should go listen to the episode. It was a, a pretty quick, I think it's an hour long chat. We break yeah. down the four records that they, there are for the band. And I think overall it was a really good, uh, very positive on everything. However, when we get to absent light, I will say it's a little kind of negative, but I think, you know, like as, as we say, it's kind of hard when you look at some of the, the records that bands put out in the catalog, they put out to, to not kind of look at that last album a little bit more objectively than the rest of them. Um, but it is still kind of weird. I listened to it today and I was just kind of like, even I noticed even when I was saying it and I caught myself as I was listening to it, I go, Oh, you can kind of almost tell where I was like, Oh wait, I don't want to be mean and talk bad about people. I know. <laughs> yeah. I'm not allowed to say that. Yeah. No, I, I feel you on that. Um, you know, a hundred percent. I mean, even, even to, you know, the Zayo thing, I mean, I, you know, we, we covered Zayo pretty early on in the podcast and, you know, we still had, I mean, I had very positive opinions about those classic Zayo albums that came out when I was in high school, but you know, for, for some of the ones that I didn't think were so great, we didn't really have a problem, uh, you know, throwing that out either. And, uh, really whenever we ended up talking to scott from zeo uh just a couple of months later you know he seemed pretty receptive to it you know like totally uh chill about it but it it is one of those things that you know sometimes you forget about the personal aspect of things whenever you get so like into a discussion about a band it's almost like a band becomes a totally different entity separate from the people that are in it you know as if it's its own living breathing thing and uh so yeah, no, I think that that you know we could all learn something from just remembering to keep that human element in it, you know, when we're when we're criticizing and looking at you know the harshness of, of how we criticize it. But you know, I think uh, I think I thought that was a rock solid chat um, because again with Misery Signals, it wasn't that we hated the fourth album; it was just that our expectations had been set so astronomically high, you know, from Controller that it you know and it really. I don't think anything they put out really could have, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. because like in because like in typical in typical music fan fashion, if it had sounded exactly like Controller, we probably would have criticized it for that too. It's true. So. Yeah, I don't know. I think it was a good chat. So go over to discography discussion, find it on any of your podcasts. Uh, now available on Spotify as of today. Uh, yeah. So go and check out our conversation on Misery Signals and uh, follow the podcast as a whole. It's a good podcast, even if I'm not on it. Um, man, I've had a week or a weekend. So yeah, louder, louder Than Life got canceled as you awkwardly heard me rustle my way through that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so I quickly you know, stopped feeling sorry for myself and the fact that this, this awesome opportunity went away. And pretty much as soon as that podcast was done, uh, I started emailing publicists. I started, you know, trying to figure out a way to make things happen. Um, 
tried to get a, a crack at the self-help festival that happened in Detroit. Didn't get the opportunity to go cover that festival, which is fine. Uh, but ended up making some shows that I wanted to go see and interviews I wanted to ha- make happen happen. And uh, as of the day we're recording this, it's late on Sunday night, technically Monday at this point for me. But uh, actually, I guess from Dan, it's actually into Monday now. Yeah, it's twelve. It's eight minutes into Monday. Yeah. So uh, yesterday I went to go do an episode with uh, Vincent Bennett from the Acacia Strain. Uh, long time coming. And I will say... Unfortunately, the audio quality is uh, a bit muffled just because they were playing in the new venue uh, in the basement of the venue that I have done a lot of my interviews in, and uh, the green room is literally right behind the stage. And uh, due to some some bullshit, uh, my interview started about 30 minutes after it was supposed to, so where I was supposed to do an interview where there was no band playing, uh, I basically did it during the entire opening band set. So there's a lot of noise. Oh, man. I'm going to go ahead and pre-apologize for that. But uh, let's get into my conversation with Johnny McBee of The Browning. pleasure this early evening of talking to Johnny McBee, vocalist for The Browning. They have a new record coming out called Geist, out October 26th via Spine Farm Records. How are you doing today? I'm good, doing good. So, Geist, you know, it's it's an interesting album title, and, you know, something I, I kind of latch on to quite a bit is, uh, is you know, meanings of, of albums, especially when there is a song with that same name. So I kind of wanted to start with the title itself and what the word means. Uh, when I was looking it up, you know, it speaks to the spirit of an individual or of a group. And kind of in looking and listening to the music, I, I sadly didn't get the lyrics uh, sent to me to, to further back up this idea I had. But it definitely sounds like a lot of inner struggles with the concept of self, whether it be put against, you know, the constructs of a religion or of you know the the world around you as a whole uh, is that kind of a, a fair assessment of, of kind of what I was listening to? Yeah. Um, do you did you hear the whole album? Almost yeah. Time? Yep, I've heard the whole album. Yes. Yeah. Um, overall, the the album talks about a lot of different topics and a lot of like acceptance and a lot of like struggle through a lot of different stuff. Um, a lot of personal struggle and a lot of, uh, existential struggle as well. Um, whenever it comes to like thoughts of God or the universe or anything. And, um, then overall, like, um, the song Geist and uh, if you look at the album art and whatnot, um, our, our albums have like kind of a, they have a story behind it. The mm-hmm. album art does, um, in the sense of like it's a it's a theme that's gone throughout all of them. That's the same guy through on all of them, right? Um, and on this one, you have basically you basically see a guy, the guy walking on the planet, uh, walking towards this big spirit 
or ghost that's coming out of this volcano ish thing. And, uh, it, that is basically the ghost of the planet that is coming out. And it's, and uh, in, in my perception of the album, the, the ghost of the planet, the spirit of the planet is coming out because it's just going to destroy it. And I'm not saying earth, it's, it's a different planet and it's coming out and, uh, it's going to destroy all life on, on the planet. And, the our guy is just walking towards it, accepting the fate of he's been there trying to save that planet and he's tried everything and now he's just walking to um accept the fate of what's about to happen whenever the spirit of this planet comes out. Um kind of forgive the the lack of knowledge on song titles themselves. They just kinda of have the album on a repeat. But uh I actually think there was a there is there a line, if I'm not mistaken, kind of speaking to sort of uh like an atom bomb of sorts uh like an impact kind of being like just seeing literally like a the end of the world literally kind of coming yeah. at you almost like a like an atom bomb dropping and it, it from the what i could kind of make out it sounded like you know you're you're watching literally watching the end of the world and you're basically just kind of on the out outer reaches of like yeah. a of this thing happening and you're just basically waiting for it to, to yep. hit you essentially and uh that's what the song final breath is all about. Um, in the chorus, I say, um, with my final breath, my lungs will fill with fire. Right. And with that, I mean, like you are watching like this explosion or whatever it is coming at you and, uh, just taking a deep breath and just, that's what it is. You just accept it and you breathe it in. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, the second line after that's when there's nothing left the earth will sing in silence because the planet will the plant the planet on that on that picture like that the the ghost from the the spirit of the planet is coming out and gonna destroy everything and once everything is gone the earth will be nice and happy and it's and it's solace <laughs> <laughs> so you know, you kind of spoke to the album cover itself for this record. You've speak, spoken to having a, a carrying, I don't know if mascot is the word I want to use, but uh, to an extent, yeah. And, and uh, an image that people can associate with the band with this progression of, of the albums. So, you know, with, with each record, you know, and, and your band specifically, there's a lot of cinematic elements to the music itself yes. and very much omnipresent on this record as well. Something I've kind of wondered is, do you come up with a sort of story first for like, I guess, I don't know if a concept is necessarily what I want to say, but just kind of like a loose construct of an idea. And that's kind of what shapes some of the, the like synths and a lot of the, the music that's being made mm. before there's even lyrics associated with any of this. Um, no, the base, well, um, with this album, I wanted to push um, a little more towards a, a dark apocalyptic sound, like how my old stuff that I used to write was. Um, and not that our, our music has always been dark. There's not a single song we write that isn't dark. But um, with this one, I wanted to push more of uh, the sound wise. I, I had the goal of it being more pushed towards a timeless uh, like synth sound, which is more of like a 80 synth wave, any 80 synth wave sound rather than like a big ravey sound. And so, um, which that sound, 
the 80 synth wave like tones and stuff in the synthesizers are a lot more emotional and also a bit apocalyptic sounding because they're just they're very dark and um so i i didn't have a uh, a thought in the sense of like what i wanted it to sound like besides i knew i wanted to push that that sound more in our genre now as far as lyrically um i also don't necessarily at the start of the process have like um have like an album uh concept made it's basically the the albums end up having an overarching theme every time just by how i feel at the time um and i was going through a lot of stuff last year and it was um really hard to um write the lyrics and so a lot and not even just last year over the course of years and years like accepting your fate is something that um like i think about every single day of what of accepting what's coming in the future and trying to work my best way around it you know yeah i definitely so. kind of you know i'm trying to again trying to remember if i can even remember the track title but i think it's i think it's on skybreaker um uh-huh you know that you have the it's the and again forgive me of trying to remember the lyric. You're fine. Uh, but uh, something you know the female vocal coming in and talking yeah. about basically all these things you know success and, and all these things. Yes. You know, and the weird thing was is kind of this finality of none of these things are forever, even though we place yeah. such strong emphasis on the fact that they are, and almost you know the way I correlated it in listening to the the song was you know. Once you kind of realize that, literally the sky kind of breaks because you're not held down. There's no ceiling yeah. anymore. Yeah, basically, Skybreaker. The first lyric is uh, "failure is not fatal," and so like whenever you fail at something, it doesn't mean it's the end. It doesn't mean that you're just screwed. Your life's over. Um, you know, like everyone fails at one thing before they do something successful, unless they're extremely lucky. And then, <laughs> uh, um. Then the next the next main line is success is not final. So yeah. if you do have success, you can't just stop there. So you know something that was kind of interesting too in in listening to this record was you know I know you're a big gamer, an avid gamer yourself. Um, yeah, I know you even have like a I think it's a Twitch or some kind of streaming service uh-huh. thing. And you know I kind of had wondered with. You know, a lot of the the elements that you're bringing in, how much does track listing play in your when you're putting the, an album together because of all of the the sounds, you know, the ethereal sounds yeah. you have kind of going around? Is do you as you're writing something, are you thinking like, OK, this this can be a callback to this as it kind of tells the overall story of the record? Or is it do things like that just kind of are happenstance? Whenever I'm writing a song, um, sometimes it's just obvious of if that it's basically whether that a song is going to be a middle or a beginning, a middle or an end. Um, like, so I'll write a song, like, um, the song, uh, awaken the Omega. It's, it's a big one. There's barely any screaming on it. Uh, and I knew that I wanted that to be like the middle track. I was like, this is like the big, the break that the album needs. And then skybreaker, whenever I was writing that initially, I should wrote it as an instrumental and, I knew as I started writing it, I was like, this is going to be the last song in the album because I wanted it to be like an anthem, like finale. Okay. Um, and so 
musically, whenever I'm writing a song, I'm like, this needs to be here on the album. Now, there's a lot of them that can kind of be put anywhere. Um, but there's definitely, right whenever I wrote the first song, Sick Minds, I knew that was going to be the intro. Right whenever I wrote Awaken the Omega, I knew that'd be in the middle. And then I knew that Skybreaker would be at the end, for sure. You know, something that's been kind of interesting over the last handful of chats I've been doing uh, and talking about album sequencing and so forth is is kind of thinking... And, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people think like this preemptively, but, you know, thinking about vinyl, because what's kind of interesting is now that vinyl has a big resurgence and a lot of artists are a lot more involved in the the creative of the vinyl, whether it be different packaging, you know, expanded artwork, whatever. It's yeah. been kind of fun as a person who collects vinyl, thinking about a record, you know, potentially having four different beginnings. and. Uh-huh. You know, I feel like you're a band that definitely, with vinyl releases, I could see you being someone who kind of thinks in that way as well. Like, okay, the, we're going to put these, you know, three songs, and then, like, when you flip the disc over, like, you know, I kind of arranged it, you know, this way, because then it's kind of retelling uh, this. It's almost like a new chapter, kind of, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's cool. But that's... I, I haven't <laughs> thought of that, but now that you mention it, it will probably be something that sticks out of my head next time. Fair enough. Um, yeah. You know, speaking of the, the video game streaming and so forth, you know, I sometimes I get really uh, jealous when I watch people play video games because, like, even though I like playing games myself, sometimes watching people play and be very good at something, it's like, fuck, I'm not, I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the time or the patience to play some of these games. Um, yeah. And so what was kind of interesting, though, and I think it's something we're starting to see a lot more in this, this ever-present uh, online culture you know, in, in e-gaming and so forth is, you know, you, you kind of took it a step further and not only were you playing games, but you were kind of showcasing kind of the behind the scenes of making this record. Yeah. And, you know, as someone who loves documentaries and, and loves seeing the behind the scenes creative process of, of a lot of bands that I listen to, I kind of, you know, you are one of the first people I can think of that really took it a step further in a more raw approach because, you know, instead of it being finally edited once the pet, like you're getting the DVD when everything's all said and done and, you know, you can edit things out. It's like people are watching you struggle to like, Oh, that's not the line. Oh "Oh, fuck. That's not how I wanted that. And it's like, Uh so I kind of wondered what does that do to your creative process when you're letting so many people into it literally as it's happening? Um, it was interesting because, um, it was there's actually a few reasons I decided to do it. Um, one, the initial reason wasn't to show people what I was doing. The initial reason was to get me to do it. Ah. Um, which it was because um, my thing was I was like, if I write this stuff on stream, then I'm gonna force to be in, to write it at a decent rate, you know. Right. Uh, which I still spent a year and a half writing this album, but other albums I've spent over two years writing. And so um, I kind of wanted to get back to a faster pace of writing uh, in the sense of like, I wanted to write just like what happened in my mind at that moment, you know? And so whenever I'm writing it on my own, I mean, I, I'm working on a side project right now and I spent 10 hours the other day on just on writing only since kind of goes back to that dedication and writing by myself it's an extreme pro it's an extremely long process and so um i was like i'm gonna get on stream 
and have people watch me and then I'll have to write at a good pace because like I would I would want to start a song and finish a song on a stream. So I would do like six hour streams and write entire songs, you know, and um, instead of spending 10 hours only like structuring a song or something, you know, and so right. um, but what it turned into is um, first the the first thing that was a good thing that I noticed was. Oh, I can be like, yo, what do you guys, should I do this here? Like, should I do this or should I do this? And the chat would tell me, you know, what they thought would maybe be better. Or I would be writing something and some random person in chat would say, oh, maybe you could like add, slow that part down a little bit or, you know, something random like that. And then I'd be like, oh yeah, maybe, you know? So it was, it was a cool process to just kind of like be there. And then also I got a lot of really good feedback because people didn't, people like didn't understand how I was writing what I was so quickly and stuff. So it made me feel good. Um, you know, because once you're in your head so much as a musician and a, and a producer, you really start thinking everything you do sucks, you know? And, <laughs> and so having, <laughs> having a bunch of people sitting there and be like, dude, that's sick. Like, I don't know how you write songs this quick and make them so good. And I'm like, true. I guess I am kind of sick, you know? <laughs> and so that was really nice and really motivational um, but, um, one thing that started kind of getting to me is like, uh, you know, on this record, obviously there's a few parts and a few songs that are much different than what the Browning's ever done. Yeah. Um, and so I would start, I would try to do something a bit weird or softer and people in the chat would be like, that's not heavy. That's not heavy enough. You should do something heavier. And so then it started becoming like, uh, yo, I understand y'all want to hear me write Browning songs, but I also want to just write what I really want to write. And so I started basically, I, I wrote, I think like six or seven songs on stream. And then the rest I saved, uh, for off stream. It might even been, it might've been seven or eight songs. I don't even remember. Uh, I wrote a bunch of other songs too. Like I wrote songs that weren't just Browning songs. Like I'd get on and just do random metalcore songs or hardcore songs or something. And so those were fun just cause I would just crap out stuff and I wouldn't give a crap about it. But the Browning <laughs> stuff is obviously like really important to me. And so, um, I took some time off of, off of streaming writing so that I could do some stuff without hearing people's opinions. Yeah. I feel like that's something you know, that has become a lot more, it's something that, you know, actually speaking to that, I remember when you guys are staying here actually uh, on the Chimera tour and I think you're a song or a video of yours leaked uh, while you were here and just kind yeah. of seeing your guys's reactions to the comments on the song and everything was really eye opening because at that point, you know, I, I constantly hear people going like, Oh, I don't read the comments. Don't ever read the comments. Yeah. But it was interesting to watch all of you, deal with the freak out of fuck this leaked to then yeah. being like, well, that's kind of cool. Cause now we can see how people react to it to then inadvertently <laughs> yeah. all of you reading the comments and some of you being like, man, it sounds like, you know, just some of the comments like where you're like, well, this dude doesn't even know what the fuck he's talking about. Like, yeah, you know, just things like that. And it was very, like I said, very eye opening to see such a, a very interesting wide array of, of emotions being, seen on you know expelled on your end you know as the band and you know i feel like 
like I said, like typically when a documentary comes out or anybody gets to see the real creative process of somebody, it's after the fact. And there's even a little bit of editing to it so it can be what you want presented. Yeah. And so to me, doing a live stream of you creating something is literally creating art that's already vulnerable in and of itself but you're taking it into a way even rawer emotion because you're like okay i'm making this thing and then getting in time feedback so like if you're like not if you're not sure about a part and then someone's like that sucks you're like oh fuck yeah it does oh yeah uh, like i just (laughs) i don't know that i could subjugate myself to just literally having that happen like in real time like because i know how like i know how challenging it can be just to like want to put like just to put something out when it's all said and done and you collectively are all like okay this is you know the browning this is our new record and we're proud of it and it's ready to go never mind the fact that you're in the midst of just trying to create it and then instant feedback it's like i was like man if this is what the world's coming to like i i just did like that'd be almost like trying to do a live podcast and all that kind of stuff where it's like (laughs) i don't think i could do it because like i fuck up way too much and like people say things and it's just like no there's a reason you edit things and put out like the final product Uh yeah well it's it was tough because like i don't know i um there's a lot of pressure on me for browning music because i i write the majority of it and um it's it, it was it was it was very good to just basically be forced into writing too though so that that was a big thing to me because i would get in my head and get super stressed and depressed and crap like that to where then I just wouldn't write for like weeks, you know? And so to, for people to be expecting to see me do that every day, um, was actually a a huge driving factor in this album even getting done. Um, so I don't mind being in front of people. Like I'm really comfortable. I'm, I'm pretty like, I'm pretty, um, quiet and kind of a hermit, but Whenever I get put into social environments, I do really well. Um, so it's all kind of really natural for me. Um, but like I said, I did. There was stuff I wanted to do on this album that I knew people would freaking crap, you know. And so <laughs> there's I definitely did, some some adventurous yeah. stuff on here that I was like, man, I am excited. Like I don't know if like you're saying where you it forced you to write. So I don't know if you typically just randomly will have ideas for stuff and are constantly writing in one way shape or form but some of the some of the things that you did on this record makes me really excited to see if you push go down that avenue a little more yeah Um, uh i basically once i finished this album and really listened to it and finished the vocals um i was basically i said to everyone i was like i'm now I'm just really excited to write the next one. Like, it's actually exciting. Like, to be honest, like, writing Isolation and starting writing this one was very stressful. And, like, uh, it was putting me in, like, really bad headspace. Um, and so, but now I'm, like, actually excited to write the next album. Um, and, like, you know, this album goes has a lot of stuff that's going towards a rock and, like, an industrial rock metal route. And yeah. uh, this album, I would say, is about 30% to where I want to be sound-wise. Okay. Um, and we're talking about some stuff, but the next album will be um, – next album or EP uh, will be probably 80 to 90% where I want to be sound-wise. And so – it really excites me because, like, I want to, like, 
okay, overarching thing with the album, accepting fate, accepting what is what it is, and just moving on. Um, you know, at some, you know, I'm getting towards being 30 years old, and I want to have a career like a real career. Now I do have a career, but it's not something that five people can have a career off of or whatever. And so if it needs to, it needs to be pushed to a spot where it can be a career. And that's something we have to accept. And something that I'm going to also accept is if this isn't to that point, by the time I'm 30, like I'm going to be done with it and, um, and done with it in the sense of doing it full time. Like I'll still always write Browning music. Mm -hmm. And so, but also it's something that I need to create a sound that is something I can grow older with, uh, and something I can play when I'm older and something I can really be behind when I'm older. And so the sound has to start transitioning towards something that is more relevant towards what I like and what everyone in the band more so likes now, um, which is a more relevant, which is a more mainstream metal or rock. And like, all I listen to is like really the most metal thing I listen to is Gojira and they, you know, they have a lot of rock influences in their stuff, and even the, even their metal aspects are more of an acceptable metal. You know. Well, I was gonna say if you even look at their last record, Magma versus say the Way yeah. of All Flesh, like you can exactly. see that they even took a different approach to their music and their sound. Yeah. And to me, it's it's, I mean, case in point, like I think a, a great point of what you're trying to say or what you are saying, and and kind of a point of with Gojira is like someone like Eddie Trunk who only listens to you know kind of older you know quote-unquote rock and even he's like i don't like the old gojira but i like the new record because it's more what i kind of yeah. listen to with, with harder rock and so exactly to me i feel like gojira was able to do it and it never felt like magma didn't come out of anywhere where you're like i don't know how this sound came to be so uh -huh. i like i said i feel like this this browning record is very much you but i feel like it's it's the evolution of you at this point and like i said i'm very excited with this record to kind of see where you're able to push some of the new influences Definitely. that you're you're putting in yep i, I basically want to be like uh i want to eventually i i see it being like a a heavy, more melodic Rob Zombie or Rammstein. I definitely got Rammstein. There's, yeah. uh, I don't remember what song it was. There's one with a like a kind of a, uh, I don't know if it was an overdub of sorts, but uh, just kind of an, a vocal effect or whatever in something in German. Yeah. And I was like, I almost feel like this could have been a uh, Till on this. Yep. Yeah. The the they're one of the main bands that I listen to like on a regular basis, and I listened to only Rammstein for about like a year and a half or so. Would you like to – do you ever see yourself getting to the point – obviously, I know it would cost a lot to do this, but just like production-wise and things like that, like do you see the Browning yeah. ever getting to that point where you're able to visually in a live setting kind of do something else with uh, yeah. with the music? Yeah, I mean that's that's the goal of this record and basically the goal of starting this touring cycle is pushing – because the thing is I – um we sound really, really good live. We have really, really good energy. The crowd is really, really good. But we just look like metal band on stage, <laughs> you know. And yeah. so, uh, with our sound being so different, we need a stage presence that is also different. But the only reason that hard, because that's been a forefront and something that I felt has held us back. It, but basically, what anything like that comes down to is money. Right. And like, obviously, I have we have all the creative like needs to be able to make something like that. And I we have. You know, I'm really good whenever it comes to technology and all this stuff. So, like, programming lights and all that stuff is easy. 
It's just about having the money to do it. And so um, basically we're wanting to step up our headlining presence and step up our live show so that we can start charging more at a door so we can get better bands to tour with us so that we can start making more money so we can, you know, actually make a living doing this. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's actually like the main primary focus on this album cycle is push our live performance so that we can start, um, and it's really not too much money. Like, really, we're only talking like five grand in lights, right? You know, well, then it's you can get just a... about having an extra five thousand dollars. You know, <laughs> yeah. And then you get a sweet, sweet light guy like Frank Finelli to uh, push those buttons and make you look good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna program it. We don't even need a light, dude. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, kind of speaking to some of the bands, like you just got off a tour with Mushroom Head, who I had on here uh, yeah. a while ago. And, you know, some of the bands you've gotten to play with, you know, I spoke earlier of uh, the tour you did with Chimera. Uh, you know, you guys did, a, I think it was just one show or maybe two shows with Korn a couple years yeah. ago. Um, you know, getting to play with a lot of these, you know, I'll call them legacy acts at this point. And so something I was kind of wondering is like, you know, do they ever give you any advice, you know, from band, you know, these bands that have been around for 10, 20, almost 30 years at this point, uh, you know, that they offer a lot of those bands kind of just like, meh, you're the opening band and Hey, um, we've been lucky in the sense of every one of those bands we've toured with and played with actually like our band. That's awesome. Um, and like whenever we toured with fear factory, like Dino's ringtone was our song standing on the edge. <laughs> and we like with mushroom head, they, re they actually really like our music and, uh, even with Corn, I had a conversation with uh, them to where, like, found out that they had actually listened to us. There's, like, a picture of, like, or a video of, like, Head wearing one of our shirts. And so um, whenever it comes to being around those people, though, I don't really I, – I typically try not to bug them. I don't right. want to ever seem like a nuisance or anything. But uh, Mushroom Head is a great example of a band that – Literally, people see them because they have a cool live show, you know. Very true, and so like they have fans that come no matter what, every single time for the past however many years because they have a cool live show. And so it's like, um, if we had some, if we had that aspect, we already have tons of fans that come no matter what, just because it's a fun time. And so if we had that extra element of visually looking awesome, also, then um. We, I think we could really blow up, honestly, because we also kill it on if we if we play shows like no matter what kind of tour it is, like whether it's a heavy tour, softer tour, scene tour, rock tour, like we kill it. And so we just need that extra element to really push ourselves. So that's that's a major focus for sure. You know, something in, in kind of looking and trying to listen to uh, the back catalog a little bit, I noticed that you're missing two of your records on iTunes. I'm kind of yeah. assuming it's because the old label that those were on either, you know, whatever just didn't put them up. I honestly don't even know. Like those dudes are idiots. So they just disappeared. And I don't know, like it's dumb for them. I don't know if they're doing it out of spite or something. Cause like I got it out of their contract and there's nothing they could do about it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's out of spite, but it'd be stupid out of spite because if it's not up and they don't make money. So whatever. Right. Yeah, I'd rather people listen on Spotify anyway. So, 
on the record, <laughs> I, I don't use Spotify a whole lot. Is it on Spotify? I didn't even look. Yeah, they're all on Spotify. They only got taken off of uh, iTunes. I don't know Weird. why. I was okay. Well, I guess that the next the follow question doesn't really apply then. I was going to say at that point then, if that was the case, like you know, I know a lot of bands would typically pay attention to you know the songs that are reacting the most, and it kind of almost creates like a set list of sorts. I was going to say like in the event that the last two, the first two records aren't on there, like is that going to make you lean more toward what's actually online but like i said that doesn't apply (laughs) with now with our i mean we're to a point now where we're pretty much done playing all old songs anyways okay um and i take bring me the horizon as a really good example of this because i honestly think bring me the horizon is the perfect band and they've done their transition perfectly yeah um to like a more mainstream sound. Um, when they put a new album, they basically don't play old songs. Nope. Like they don't play old songs. And the thing is every, whenever they do put out a new album, everyone freaking loves it. And if you go there live, everyone's singing all the songs, all their new songs. Like, so you need to, if you want your fans to back your new crap, you have to back your new crap too. And so, um, we've basically stopped playing, all uh most of our old stuff um if we're headlining we'll probably play a few of like the essentials okay but um we're basically only playing songs off isolation and geist now well that's cool i think uh it'd be kind of interesting i haven't seen you guys since isolation came out so it'll be kind of interesting to see how some of these other songs weave in and out of uh out of a set at this point yeah well i can't wait like because also a big thing about this whole transition is like we're wanting to push ourselves to potentially being able to come like a real big band you know and um to be able to do that you have to be capable of putting on a good headlining show well what's not a good headlining show is playing heavy crap for an hour you know (laughs) fast heavy techno crap for an hour so like this kind of music is essential to putting on an actual headlining show right because we need to have those elements where people can listen and enjoy their time without having to mosh. And for us to have dynamics in our sets where like, it's not just screaming the whole time. It's not just like thrashing around and, you know, going fast. Like if you ever go to any band that's headlining and they're playing an an hour and a half or something, and it's just metal the whole time, like it after 40 minutes, you're just like, can this end please? Yeah. You know? doesn't matter who the band is you get sick of it yeah and especially us with how much i yell at the crowd and tell them to do stuff like the the crowd i've noticed like after 30 minutes our crowd starts to really become dead until they like sit there for like three or four songs and then they can you know they can give it their all the last song you know right and so it's uh now with having songs that are more dynamic that have soft spots that have more dynamic elements we can actually put together a set that the crowd can be interested the whole time and after an hour you're you'd be more like dang like i want them to play more rather than like dang thank god dude you know (laughs) yeah yeah i definitely kind of noticed that there was a little bit of more pauses uh for Uh for things because like having like i said having seen you guys a couple of times um you know it was kind of a bit unrelenting uh, in in a not good way. It's because like, it's like I can't jump that much, uh, especially Uh, as a a mid 30 something year old and whatever. And (laughs) it's just, it's too high energy for too long. 
And, exactly. uh, you know, hearing this, it was kind of nice. Like, you know, like you said, a song like the uh, uh, track six, the something. Awakening the Omega. Yeah, Awakening yeah. the Omega. It's like I could, I was like, oh, here's like kind of a nice pause. Uh, in the, You literally don't have to mosh during that song. No. You know? And, you know, even you know, even the song kind of like, a, like I said, Skybreaker or sort of Amnesia at times, too. Like it, it kind of exactly. picks up and, and there's there's peaks and valleys, um, which, you know, again, kind of to me, I was like, oh, I feel like this is a band kind of or you, I guess, uh, kind of growing more. And, and, you know, something, you know, Bring Me, I think, is a great example. That's a band I didn't like until Sempaternal. And yeah, me neither. it was one of those things where. You know, for me, there's nothing more gratifying than to be like, this band sucks, this band sucks, this band sucks. Or <laughs> at least being able to be like, this band could be cool if. And, uh-huh. you know, I had the same moment very recently having Jaden from Siler on where I was like, you know, I don't mind hearing heavy, aggressive music. But like you said, it gets rather repetitive because unfortunately, when you have an eight string guitar and you're playing all that kind of stuff, there's, there's only so many things and rhythms you can do. But yeah. when they did help, you know, they kind of went more up bring me kind of Linkin Park kind of sound yeah. with a little bit of that kind of heavier edge to it. And it's like, oh my God, more of this, please. Like you fucking figured out, you figured out how to write a good song with good exactly. parts. And I kind of had that same like, ah, moment on this where I was like, ah, they figured out like, I don't need to be like beaten over the head for, <laughs> for like yep. an hour. And like, I could even think of, you know, having seen you guys, it's like, okay, here's the part where it's like, okay, jump, jump, you know, kind of yeah. building the energy into this thing where it's like, and here's the release. You know, and, and kind of speaking to that, you know, there's a band from here in Grand Rapids. I don't know if you were ever a fan of uh, Still Remains. And, yeah. you know, something that was always kind of a, a bummer for me being a fan of those guys and, and being friends with some of them is I never felt like here in the States that sound really ever was big. But overseas, it was huge. And listening to this record, it's like, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I feel like I can't speak to how you, how well you do in other other areas or whatever, but I feel like your music is like you're able to think beyond just your u.s scene and yeah. so i feel like it's like this is something that's going to appeal to a way wider demographic like just the overall sound and it may not yeah, be like, something that appeals to americans because we don't listen to a lot of these other things and if you do you're uh-huh. one of the fringe people that listens to these niche genres yeah but you know i am i am i wrong in assuming that you you guys do really well over like in europe and so forth yeah we we're um, pretty good amount bigger in Europe than we are in the States. And um, I relate that a lot to our electronic style, which is like European hard style. Like, right. and also like the metal influence in the Browning is a lot like Rammstein and also like Amon Amarth. Um, like if you take some of our songs and take off the electronics, it sounds like Amon Amarth, like 100%. Yeah. And like, especially some of our older songs, like, and so I listen to a lot of European metal and rock and, and I only listen to European electronic music. So, um, the, our sound is very European overall. Okay. So, yeah. I just, as I was kind of listening today, I was like thinking, I was like, man, I can see, you know, even if you were playing something like Vakken or, you know, like yeah. Rock Am Ring or Rock Am Park or any of these like European festivals that yep. I mean, I've never been to and I only see videos, but it's like, I can already see the forty, fifty thousand people going apeshit during some of these yeah. songs, and it's well, like the I, I those type of festivals changed my writing style. Honestly, oh uh, okay. The first the first time we played with Full Force in Europe, um, we it was our very first show ever in Europe, ever outside of the states, and um, 
we were a small band. You know, I think it was 2010 or 2011. I don't even remember. Um, I think it was probably 2011. And uh, we had no backdrop, no stage scrims, no nothing. Like, literally, there's nothing on stage that said who we were. And uh, we were playing, we played right after Heaven Shall Burn. Oh, wow. Um, and we were on the side stage. Well, I was just like, okay, I assumed we played with like no one. And you know, it's a massive, it was a massive area. Um, and we started sound checking. And whenever we started sound checking, people started sprinting from the main stage, watching Help and Shaw Burn to come watch us on the side stage whenever we were sound checking. And then we, you know, got done sound checking. And there was like, while we were sound checking, there was like a thousand people moshing in front of us. And then, <laughs> and then, so uh, we went back off stage and then we were just sitting there waiting and, uh, the whole area just like filled up. There's like probably about 10,000 people in front of us before we started playing. And, uh, the whole crowd started chanting the synth melody for our song bloodlust. And it sounded like a soccer stadium, you know, they were going like chanting it. And I was like, what the freaking crap? Cause I'd never even been to a European show at that point. And we had never been there. And, um, so then we play our set and they're chanting our synth melodies the whole time for songs like Bloodlust and Standing on the Edge, like the da 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 da. And so I was like, that blew my freaking mind. And so I started writing all my synth melodies based off of melodies that could be sung and chanted. Um, and so whenever you listen to like Dragon, you know, I started writing and same with Skybreaker. Like, I started writing all my melodies for big synth parts to be able to be chanted. So, like, those European festivals literally changed, like, my writing style. <laughs> yeah. No, I like I said, I definitely – I get more of a, a, a crowd participation, not necessarily in having to jump around, but just, just parts of, like, chanting yep. and, and so forth. And like I said, having seen you guys, I can kind of see more of it in different parts. So. Yep. But yeah, so I'm glad. I'm kind of glad. I, it, you know, it kind of sucks that the American crowd isn't necessarily big on it. But at the same time, it's like there's more to the world than just the American crowd. Yeah. Well, um, what I started doing, I did it. I started doing it on this last tour. Um, I did it a couple times where, because the thing is, the people in America know the synth melodies, mm-hmm. but they don't like sing it. Right. So what I started doing, I was like, sing it with me. And then I would do it for like two seconds and hold out the mic. And then the, the U.S. crowd would start singing the melody. Right. Yeah. It's so almost I'm, like the following, yeah. the clapping following the uh, kick drum pattern. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's uh, pretty much all I have for you. So I'm going to kind of ask you the last couple of questions and, and get you on yeah, with fun. your evening. Um, so the new record, again, Geist, comes out October 26th via Spine Farm Records. Uh, where can everyone follow you and or the band on social media? Uh, just search the Browning on all the crap and yeah, we're on all the, all that kind of stuff and the, just go listen on Spotify. Okay. And then, uh, <laughs> last, <laughs> lastly, uh, I always like to end these episodes out with a song. So what would you like me to play it out to? And maybe a quick little story about it. Um, when's this coming out? Uh, honestly, I'm not sure. Uh, I have, <laughs> I, well, I'm talking to you today. Uh, my co-host is talking to Dan from Zayo and who are putting out a seven inch or just did and then i'm talking to uh porter from atreyu in the next couple of days and uh toby from emory and everyone all of you are putting out records like right around the same time so i'm not yeah. exactly sure okay <laughs> how everything's going 
Yeah. Well, I mean, you can just play Final Breath. Final Breath is like, uh, was that whenever we released, started, whenever we were going over the release plans for this album, Carnage, the label really wanted to do Carnage as the first one. Okay. And Carnage is like super ideal. This is 1000% what the Browning sounds like. And then I wanted to follow that up with like, yo, this is something from the Browning you've never heard before. And that's what Final Breath is. Final Breath is kind of the epitome of us. Like, there's songs on the album that combine that new kind of rock sounds with, like, big choruses, but the songs are still very Browning-like. Right. Well, Final Breath is not Browning-like. And so if you've listened, everyone's heard the Browning's name. Everyone is, like, but everyone thinks we're a techno band, metal band. If you've ever heard the Browning's name and you listened to one song from eight years ago and you've questioned it, uh, I would suggest go listen to final breath and maybe rethink it and then uh, come out and see us. Cause it's a totally different uh, experience life. And then my absolute last question, what game are you looking forward to that's coming out soon? Uh, Animal crossing on switch. Okay. Heck yeah. I actually just bought a Switch only because they announced that and it's not even coming out to like late 2019, but I'm still like super stoked. <laughs> yeah, I just got two games a couple days ago and I'm waiting for Red Dead 2 to come out and yeah. everyone's been blasting the shit out of Spider-Man, so I feel like I need to get a PS4 <laughs> so I can play that. Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm so stoked for Animal Crossing to come out and uh PC-wise, um I don't know. I really want like an Outlast three or the the new Doom Doom Eternal. That's gonna be sick. Is, when is that coming out? Uh, I'm not sure, but I love the music in Doom, and I love the as- the aesthetic of it. So Doom Eternal is gonna be super tight. I'm still waiting for a new Half Life. Uh, that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> I was just telling someone the other day. I was like, you remember when uh when Max Payne came out like. The oh, first time on computer, and I was like, I used to get really mad when people would call my phone my house because it would break up the internet. Uh huh. And I was just like, and they're like, how old is that game? I was like, it's as, it's old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, awesome. Sweet. Well, thanks again for taking the time to do this, and uh, hopefully see you on the road soonish. Yep. All right. Peace, dude. So that was my chat with Johnny McBee, vocalist for the Browning. Dan, again, you couldn't be there for the interview, but what did you think of that chat? Uh, that was an interesting chat, John. Um, for sure. <laughs> I think that, uh, he seemed a little nervous, uh, maybe not nervous, but just, uh, a little, uh, distracted. I know, um, you were doing some, a pretty deep dive, uh, on listening to that record, um, and really trying to pull meaning out of it. Cause you didn't have any lyrics, you know, to read or anything. So you're just like, I'm going to give it, you know, my best shot at what I think this is about. And I think it sounds to me like you pretty much nailed it. Um, He's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's basically, you know, a guy, you know, waiting to draw his final breath. And there's, <laughs> you know, images of volcanoes and just very um, otherworldly, almost sci-fi type of uh, type of uh, atmosphere going on there. Um, but yeah, you know, I was a little, uh, I was a little sad just hearing about the, uh, you know, just kind of the woes of trying to promote a band and feeling feeling like you're just trapped and just doing metal. Um, you know, but you're trying to branch out, but you still, everybody still kind of considers you a metal band. Like it's a, I, I, I get it. You know, I kind of, I kind of get where he's coming from and I don't think it's lame necessarily that, um, that he feels that way. Like with other bands, I'm kind of like, well, what's wrong with being metal? Is there something you're ashamed of? But it just seemed more in, in, in this case that 
he's like, I never wanted to set out to just do a metal type project, which is, you know, the earlier stuff was more aggressive. And now I'm trying to expand and, and be, you know, like, cause the new album is very, um, very melodic and very, um, well, I mean, the electronics are kind of a given, but, um, I don't know. Like I, I, I get where he's coming from, but I don't know if he's made that transition just yet. I thought it was kind of interesting. You know, admittedly, uh, you know, okay. It's kind of hard sometimes in doing these interviews because I think we had had the record two days before I did this chat. Yeah, we didn't have it long. No. And I think a thing that should be kind of noted is a lot of times when I do these interviews and I get to talk to some of these band people about their records, and I think you hear them, hear the guests literally say this quite a bit, is, oh, do you have the record? Have you heard the whole record? Not just the few songs that are out, and the answer typically is yes. But the thing is, is I think, you know, so early into this promotional cycle for this record, I don't know that a lot of people have. I think when I talked to Johnny after we were done recording, he said he'd only done like one or two interviews at this point. And he seems surprised that that you'd heard the whole record. Yeah. And that's kind of my point is, is it's kind of, it's hard to really take in a record in two days. I mean, I, I don't care who you are. And even my interview where, you know, I, I, think I latched on to lyrical themes and lyrical content without even having the lyrics to look at. But I'm basing a lot of what I'm hearing off of literally not looking at any of the album artwork, not looking at any of the lyrics, not looking at anything, just literally having my phone in my pocket with the album just on a repeat and trying to pick things up as I'm listening to the record as a whole, basically starting to finish and then looping back to the start. And it just gets to the point where... It uh becomes. Thank you for the pizza delivery. It You're uh be jealous over here, man. Yeah, you got to get you one of them great wives that brings you pizza. Um, <laughs> but it just gets to the point where sometimes, and you know, I, I make a lot of mention to this, uh, and I think you mentioned it on discography discussion too, where sometimes I wonder if I I'm looking too deep into what I'm listening to because I'm looking for more. I'm looking for the things that maybe the casual person isn't. And it's not to it's not to toot my own horn that I can see these things that maybe others don't. But sometimes I I wonder when I'm talking to these artists about their their creation and about these records that I wonder if sometimes I'm over analyzing these things and I'm over I'm asking a question that's not even really there. But more often than not, and same with this Johnny interview, is I tend to find that. Apparently my my premonitions are right about what I what I'm hearing and even though I can't make out every vocal I can still kind of understand the overall theme and and the concept that's going on and I think that that speaks to how well Johnny and the the rest of the Browning camp are able to articulate these thoughts and these themes in the record that even if you don't have all the information you still can understand that well, and yeah, I, I get what you're saying too, because I relate to that in a big way. I mean, I do a podcast where I, all I do is overanalyze stuff and it's one of those, it's one of those catch 22s. Cause you like, when you're talking to the artist, you don't want to be presumptuous and say, you know, something or, or take it in a direction that like, in some cases like that they had never even considered or, you know, or whatever it is. 
But uh, the interesting thing is, like, I, I totally agree with you, and I think it's hard to to make that next step because a lot of artists, I think they're a little bit more in tune with what the general population wants. And let's be honest, most casual music fans, they just want to hear banging tracks. Right. You know what I mean? And it, so, it, you know... I think sometimes the artistic side of it is lost um, for some people. And so I think it's when an artist puts their heart and soul into a project or into a record, you know, makes a record, not just like a collection of songs, but like makes a a cohesive, you know, living, breathing um, statement or thought or, you know, just like any piece of art. And uh, I think the artists are usually a little taken aback whenever somebody's like, hey, man, uh, I kind of feel like this is where you were going with this, <laughs> you know. And uh, and honestly, I think that's cool. I don't think that's something that, that should change or, or something that you need to work on. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's I think it's par for the course. I mean, we're you know, we I, I would rather be recommending something that I had a personal connection to or that I think that other people could have a personal connection to. But they might they might need a little bit of help. They might need a little bit of assistance on getting the proper context going into something. So even though it may not seem like there's a question there, um, it's, it's a better recommendation of the product to just like, Hey, you put this new record out. I mean, it sounded pretty good compared to your other ones. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, it, you know, yeah. that just, that just hits the, hits the wall like a pancake, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I don't think that, I think that's something that's just kind of taken for granted in, in modern day, um, music journalism, so to speak, you know, everybody's so, everybody's so damn concerned with like, I guess like the, how the product sounds or what the viability of the product is or whatever. And I just, that, that's one thing I like about doing this podcast is I just, I feel like we don't do that like as much, you know, like, like we're not necessarily like on the sales team, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so it's, um, it's a lot better in, in, in my opinion, um, to just get, to get in behind, like get in the brain of the artist and, and understand what their actual motivation is, because that's a lot more relatable and that's, that's what people are going to pick up on. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting to be able to get a new record, have your initial thoughts, have questions about it, and then literally a few days to a week later, you're talking to the person responsible for what you're listening to one-on-one or in this, in the case of if Dan's on, you know, two-on-one and getting to talk about it like Dan and I would if no one else was in the room. Yeah. Yeah, really. That's, that's, that's what I like. That's, that's what I like about doing my other podcasts. It's just something's more appealing to me. Hopefully it's appealing to other people too. Is just the idea of dudes in a bar chatting, and you know w- when John does these, these does these in person interviews, it's it's really that you know <laughs> in some cases you know it's it's uh I mean yeah a lot of the time it's at a venue or whatever but it just it's so on the street and so like you know we're we're not sitting in some like you know lifeless soundproof studio you know using our best radio voices you know <laughs> trying to trying to make people think that you know we're a big deal it's so much better just to hear a conversation with somebody because that's the only way that that's the way people actually talk to one another 
And uh, I know it all seems like so basic and so spelled out, but like nobody really talks about that aspect of it, that it's just um, it, it's so much better to just get into the brain, have an actual conversation with somebody. And, and that includes, you know, some of the on, off topic stuff, too, that's not necessarily on the brand, you know, stuff that is, uh, you know, just more um, more human. Yeah, I mean, that was the fun thing, talking with Johnny. Like, I know he's got a Twitch channel where he, you know, streams him playing video games. And it's it was interesting to talk to him about how, you know, he was trying to do the live Twitch of him writing this new record. Like, I've never heard of anyone taking that approach. Like, you might get little snippets here and there. You might get some Instagram videos and, and so forth, or a DVD when the product's all done, like I said. But literally streaming for eight hours watching a dude trying to make a new record like i've never heard of anyone doing that yeah that's different um i don't know if i could even watch that to be honest but i mean it'd be so awkward i mean (laughs) if it helps if it helps yeah like i mean i just feel like i was spying on someone at that point you know but uh you know you know just sitting in my sitting in my underpants you know watching it with a tub of ice cream next to me you know something like i don't know um it'd be interesting to see if that were uh if if that were the case yeah i definitely think that's uh you know something that was really interesting to me and uh i'm really you know thankful for johnny for coming on and doing the podcast and being so so kind of open and forthcoming with a lot of the the things on the new record and uh the new record speaking of it's called geist and it comes out october 26th via spine farm records they're uh, a great label that are getting ready to put out and have been putting out such great quality music as of late like they're basically signing Anyone and everyone. Um, I mean, they have the new Atreyu coming out soon. They got this new uh, Browning record. They have 36 Crazy Fists. Like, I mean, fuck, that record label's got basically everyone on it, and there's so many great records on that label. It's stupid. They're basically... Yeah, it's a musician. It's a musician's record label. I was going to say, in the day and age where, like, Dan and I have talked countless times about, you know, the Ross Robinsons and the Toby, Toby Wrights and the you know, Roadrunner Records and Solid State Records and all this kind of stuff, like in that era being lost, it seems like Spine Farm is kind of picking up where those, that era of bands and a label being so synonymous that like, it's like, oh, anything I buy on this record label is going to be good. And I feel like Spine Farm is definitely picking up that ball and and running with it uh, with the roster that they have and keep expanding with, I mean, like I said, take a look at their roster and tell me that it doesn't cover every genre uh, at this point but again the record is called geist it comes out october 26 via spine farm records and if you would like to keep up with the browning you can find them on facebook under the browning instagram is the browning official and twitter is the browning band and if you would like to keep up with johnny you can find him on instagram under johnny mcbee as well as on twitter simply just his name and dan where can the people find you uh you can find me on twitter at discuss metal dan you can find me uh on facebook now, on Facebook, it's a little complicated, so you might want to write this down. Uh, you can find me on Facebook under Daniel Terry. And um, you can find my other podcast, Discography Discussion, at DiscussMetal.com. And uh, you can send me an email if you'd like to at DiscussMetalDan at gmail.com. If you would like to keep up with all things the podcast, you can find the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at John's Entitled Podcast. 
tweeted us at Johnson's Title Pod and email us at johnsontitlepod at gmail.com. And if you would like to support us monetarily, you can over at Patreon on patreon.com slash Johnson's Title Podcast. We have two episodes up currently. We're going to be recording a third here pretty soon. And Dan will tell you why rating, reviewing, and subscribing is a thing that we love. Uh, we love rating, reviewing, and subscribing, and the main reason we love it is because it helps us get recommended to other people like yourself that might want to hear this podcast that don't know about it. And uh, typically highly rated podcasts are highly recommended podcasts, and so that's what we're going for. But we also do appreciate the kind words, and um, we appreciate the not-so-kind words if they're constructive. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's, uh, as, as Tom Hanks once said, that is all I have to say about that. Won't you be my neighbor? Oh, yeah, he is saying that now, isn't he? Yeah. I am infinitely more interested in that uh, that movie now that he's playing Mr. Rogers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'll have to I'll have to check that out. I'm, I mean, kind of kind of behind on, on movies and stuff lately. Yeah. And in keeping with keeping up with newer things, we're going to play this episode out as we always do with a song. So we are going to play it out to Final Breath by The Browning off of their upcoming record. Again, it's called Geist, coming out October 26th via Spine Farm Records. Go pre-order it. Go support the dudes. Uh, they are great dudes. And uh, follow all the guys on Twitter, Instagram, and all that kind of stuff. And if they come to your town, go support them. Let them know that John's Entitled Podcast sent you. And with that, here is Final Breath by The Browning, and we will talk to you later. <laughs>